Let's pray. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I love you. Help me to say something that's worthy of you this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we've been praying uh, for Matt that he would break down in front of you guys. So it worked out really well. You got to pray for me that I would stop breaking down in front of you guys. That's my problem. But uh, actually, that's a really good thing because uh, some of you guys who are new, who aren't used to church, if you get emotional, a lot of you tough guys, especially some of you tough gals, you probably want to leave because you're like, I got to hold it together. And uh, the emotion is the Holy Spirit going, why don't you stop trying to hold it together? It ain't working and you know it. Why don't you stop faking it? Let me break through. Let me touch you and speak some things to you that maybe you haven't heard before. Um, yeah, I remember I got a particular tough guy coming to my head. He's like, I don't like coming to your church because I cry. I don't want to cry. So it's a good thing, man. It means you're alive. If you don't cry, you're dead. You know that? If you don't cry, if, if nothing touches your emotions, you're, you're kind of a walking dead person. Jesus wept. He let, especially the pain of others, he let that move, move him. So yeah, it's Easter. Um, I was expecting this place to be bursting. We have a good crowd, but a lot of our people left, and then a lot of new people came. So we have a pretty much same size crew as always. I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? Because uh, if all of our people come and all the new people I heard were coming, man, we're going to be, but it, it all works out. So it's really fun to see new faces, have new People who can hear stuff that the old timers, they're like, oh, that again? Exodus 34, 6 again? For Pete's sakes. No, just kidding. So today we're going to talk about, of course, the resurrection. This was written by a scholar back in 1926. It's called One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. I could add to this scandalous child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Never wrote a book. Never held an office. Never went to college. Never visited a big city. Never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. Did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He also forgot one of his best friends stabbed him in the back, betrayed him, turned over to his enemies, went through a mockery of a trial, nailed to a cross, between two thieves, while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. This says 19 centuries have come and gone, but now it's 20 centuries. Today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race. I don't know why this makes me want to cry. I was trying to read this this morning. I could. He's the leader of mankind's progress. 
All, all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Of course, we're talking about Jesus. How in the world did some obscure peasant with no money who never wrote a book, he didn't write any of the books in the Bible. Those were his followers who wrote those books. They just took the things that he said after he, after his death and resurrection, and they put them down there. Millions of people down to the ages would gladly go to concentration camps, take a bullet to the head, be boiled in oil, thrown in rivers, because they wouldn't deny this obscure peasant. Who is he? What are the implications for you? The tragic thing is, is that in this world, according to Jesus, there's evil forces, satanic forces, that want to distort and pervert in your mind who you think I'm talking about. The Bible calls that the spirit of Antichrist. So all over the world, there's thousands, tens of thousands of different conceptions of who this person was and what he accomplished. He was a definite individual. You can't just make up in your head who you think he is. He tells you who he is. His first followers would tell you who he said he was. Most people just make, well, I think, blah, 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 blah. I've always thought, blah, 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 blah. My church teaches, blah, 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 blah. We have a book. We have hundreds of pages that explain very specifically from people that walked with him. And again and again and again, I meet people who call themselves Christian, and they can't string 10 Bible verses together. Look, how do you know you're following the right Christ, the true Christ, when the devil has sown the world with thousands and tens of thousands of false Christs to deceive people? The Muslims teach one thing about Jesus. The Mormons teach one thing about Jesus. The barista in the coffee shop will tell you one thing about Jesus. Your college professor will tell you one thing about Jesus. Even the churches in town, one of the real popular views is even in churches, you'd be surprised. He was just kind of a, an apocalyptic, wild-eyed preacher that was wildly exaggerated by his followers, but now we're more sophisticated and we're going to cut out all the uh, superfluous mythological elements of the scripture. And he's just a good moral teacher. Well, according to Scripture, it's pretty clear who he is. Who is he? What was he up to? What are the implications for you? There is nobody like him in history. Should I step on some toes? Study some of these great leaders in history, these great religious leaders. Buddha, Muhammad, whoever you want to study. More recent ones, you know, Mother Teresa, Gandhi. They don't even deserve to be in the same sentence with them. And if that offends you, study it out. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are 
first-hand accounts. Mark was a disciple of Peter, so some people say, well, technically, that's a second-hand account. Not really, because Mark was right there for a lot of it, although he did get a lot of that information. Who was this man? Do you have a clue? If you and I have a different view, which we very well might, who's right? Are we both right? Is everybody right? If someone has a false view of who you are, can everybody be right? Have any of you guys ever been misrepresented to a boss, to a friend, to a potential date, right? Oh, you don't want to date that guy. He's a scumbag, right? What a man. I didn't even get to talk to her. What do you mean I'm a scumbag? Come on. What in the world? Oh, you don't want to talk? Oh, that girl's psycho, man. You don't want to talk to her. I don't think I'm psycho, for Pete's sakes. You know, why don't you talk to me? Make your own evaluation. That's what people do with Jesus. Well, I think Jesus was this, or I think Jesus was that. Well, his early followers, man, they give us plenty of information. And they laid their lives down for what they put down about who he was. So today we celebrate. Let's see. Hard to say it was his greatest act because it was all part of a complex of amazing things that he did. Why did he come to earth? For two primary reasons. He came to earth to show us who God was. And God is. A lot of people don't know that. Jesus came to earth to show us what God is like. One of the disciples one time said to him, show us the Father, Jesus. Yeah, we know you're a religious guy and you can do miracles and God likes you and all. Show us who he is. And I don't know if Jesus actually jab slapped himself, but he went, please come on. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you ask me to show you the Father? Have I been with you so long you don't have a clue what I'm up to? I'm trying to show you what God is like. I grew up in church. My dad was a minister. I never got that piece. God was harsh and cruel and demanding and difficult. And man, it's too bad he wasn't like his kid Jesus because Jesus is easy. Jesus is kind. Jesus is good. Jesus loves everybody, but his dad, holy cow, what a jerk. Nobody's laughing or amening. Everyone's like, are you allowed to say that? I don't know if you're allowed to say that. You can say it. God's not a jerk. The Father's not a jerk. The Father's exactly like Jesus. Who loved Jesus the most? The dirty dogs and the dirty dogettes, right? I can't say that other word. That's bad, right? The, really, the, the terrible people, the prostitutes, the sexual deviants. Can you say that in church? We got to get real. The Bible's real. The demoniacs, the crazy people, the street people, the criminals. It always says the tax gatherers. It says sinners and tax gatherers. I heard one preacher point out, and he said, well, because the tax guys were so bad, the sinners didn't even want them in the same category. They're like IRS agents that work for the mafia. They're just dirty. Those people flock to Jesus. Is that the Jesus you know? No, the church I grew up in, stained glass, wrathful. Well, who is he really? What was he about? What is this day about? Why did he come to earth? Why do you have such a big impact? The, devil, the devil's number one goal in your life and my life 
is to keep you from hearing who he really was and what he was really about. That God is just like God the Father is exactly in nature, like Hebrew says. He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. So whatever the invisible God that we can't understand, Jesus said, look, I'm going to put on skin, flesh, and blood. I'm going to come show you. You confess a sin for the 10,000th time. What's he going to do? Come here, you. Get up. He's going to give you a hug. Could you not do that again? It wrecks your life. It wrecks all the people's lives around you. Just pull it together, please, for your sake, for the world's sake, for all the people. This is not good for you. Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. All right. Let me help you out. Let me put some grace around you to try to keep you on the, on the rails. Not the Jesus I know. He's like, three strikes and you're out, man. Forget it. No, that's not Jesus. His best friend denies him. In his greatest hour of need, Peter, what does he do? He actually told Peter what he was supposed This is crazy. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. I know you're going to deny me. But I know who you are, and I know you're going to repent. And he says, so after you've repented, he's already planning what he's going to do with Peter after he forgives him. Yeah, you're going to turn your back on me in my greatest hour of need. Yeah, you're going to be all humiliated. You're going to, Yeah, it's going to be awful for you because you're going to realize that's not you really want to follow me, you really love me, and it's just a time of weakness, etc. But Peter, okay, when you come back, all right, lock it down and leave my church, okay? He's so much better than we think he is. Well, anyway, that's one of the reasons that he came. So many Christians are missing this. He's so much better than you think he is. And even once you start tasting his goodness, that's why some people are crying and clapping on the front row, and some of you newcomers are like, these people are crazy. Yeah, well, some of them are addicted to meth, and some of them are street people, and some of them are mental hospitals, and and if they were uh, old and courageous right now, they would shout amen. Seriously, drug addicts, we, we have, boy, I got a problem with tangents. I was, uh, I was witnessing to a guy on Friday. I invited him to church. I don't know if he's here. It's terrifying to go to church, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Someone says, come to my church. It's just scary. But uh, he, we, I don't even know how the conversation got there. I, all of a sudden, I got the opportunity to boast in God. He's like, well, how do we know this is right or that is right? I'm like, dude, do you realize that the same stuff Jesus was doing in the first century goes on today? Do you realize that he still delivers the insane demoniacs? Do you realize that he can still heal bodies, more importantly, he still heals souls? He still straightens out broken minds? Do you realize that addictions can be removed? You can throw your meds in the trash. Crazy people hearing voices voices can have clarity again. And I just started like, come to our church. I will introduce you to these people. I have no idea why I went off on that tangent, but it was a good one. But God is good and he loves us and he has power. But you've got to get to know the right Jesus. Because this world is littered and corrupted by a million false Christs. The Bible says that. Uh, Jesus said many false Christs and false prophets will arise and deceive many. There's churches, thronging churches filled with people, and they're being taught about the wrong Jesus this morning, unfortunately. How do you know which the right Jesus is? The book. Do you know the book? If not, you don't know Jesus. You just, your grandma taught you, or your priest, or your pastor. And how do you know they weren't the devil? How dare you? 
my pastor, my grand, don't you ever talk about my grandma, like, right? Do you think the devil's going to come to you like Freddy Krueger? The devil comes to you, the Bible says, as an angel of light, as the nicest person you've ever met, which is probably your grandma or your last pastor or your last priest. That's how he's going to come. He's not going to be able to sell his bill of goods to you if he comes to you like Freddy Krueger. Follow me. I'll tell you who Jesus is. It's not going to work. It's all in there. It's all in there. So who is Jesus? I, I want to look a little bit today. Obviously, we're celebrating the resurrection, which talks about what's the other reason Jesus came. The other reason Jesus came was to die. He came to die. Because if he didn't die, you'd have to die. The wages of sin is death. Some of you new people, I can do this on you. Some of you are going to roll your eyes. I do this in evangelism all the time. On my cell phone, I have a secret video. It's all your lowlights, all your darkest deeds. Not going to look at anybody, right? Of course, I'm pretending. Let's watch it. Oh, my goodness. What? Are you kidding me? I never would have thought you could have. Wow. Last week? What? Seriously. I don't have time to watch your video because it's actually, I'd go weeks and weeks and weeks of your lowlights. And then the fact is you could never look me in the eye again, right? If that's true, let's hear amen. You know it. People are like, I'm a good person. Oh, really? Let me watch your video. And then look me in the eye and tell me you're a good person. Even the good deeds we do are usually sabotaged by our selfish motives. So they're not even good deeds. We're working people. We're manipulating people. We're trying to weasel our way out of trouble. It's me, 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 me. We're stepping on people's heads. We're betraying people. We're gossiping. We're using people. We're flattering people. We're leveraging people. One of the things we got to say is, God, open up my eyes so I see what I really am. The Bible says if anyone says they don't have sin, they're a liar. We deserve punishment, death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's what they hold up in the end zones at the football games, John 3.16. You're like, oh, I was wondering what that was. John 3.16. It's, the most, it's one of the most important messages in the Bible. Billy Graham called it gospel in a nutshell. That's the other, he came to show us who God was, but then he also came to pay our price on the cross, to die for us. And he told his disciples, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And, okay, this is the point that I want to, what I really wanted to get to this morning. In Luke 18, it says, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. All things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. So the Old Testament is full of prophecies that tell us this is going to happen. I always think of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was written 100 years before, I'm sorry, 700 years before Jesus. And it reads like the newspaper the day after his crucifixion. It's impossible. But how do you know someone didn't write it and just say it was written 700 years prior? 
Because the Jews preserved it, and they didn't accept Jesus. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if it doesn't, come talk to me afterwards. So all the things that were written about me will be accomplished. He'll be delivered up to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews, the Romans. He'll be mocked, mistreated, spit upon. After they've scourged him, they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. It says, they understood none of these things. His disciples, the guys who were following him around, doing everything he asked, they were totally sold. I love the passage in John where Jesus said something, and all of his disciples were just completely baffled. Most of them just bailed on Jesus because they didn't understand what he was saying, what he was doing. A bunch of people were saying he was crazy. He said, do you guys want to go away too? And Peter's like, basically, my paraphrase, I have no idea what you just said, but I know you have the words of eternal life. I know you're it. I'm going to follow you. But here, he's telling them he's going to rise from the dead, they have no clue what he's talking about. And this is very common. This, this kind of thing comes up again and again and again in the Gospels. You have to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go, wow. Any of you guys remember when the Holy Spirit came upon you and you went, Pow. who remembers that? And the Bible that looked like Swahili or Greek or Latin or whatever, suddenly like, what? Holy cow. Makes a lot of good sense now. So these apostles are following Jesus around. So the big question is, why did Jesus come? He came to die. Why did he raise from the dead? He rose from the dead, and that proved that everything that he said he was and everything he said he stood for and everything he said he was going to accomplish, he said, look, this is going to be the exclamation point on it all. What is Easter about? Easter dresses and bunny eggs and, and you know, my new spring dress and, uh, you know, my, my, bright, my bright yellow tie, whatever, singing Easter songs. We were Baptist. Up from the grave he rose, right? And everybody liked to sing their parts. And that's what it's all about. We have no idea. No, like the apostles, so many people are sitting in church. You don't have a clue. He rose from the dead to save you from eternal death, to save you from the power of the devil. You might not even believe there's a devil. It doesn't matter. He believes in you, and he's got you. If you don't understand the power of the resurrection and what Jesus was up to, the disciples didn't have a clue, which means that they were spiritually blind. Do you understand what the resurrection is about? So I, I guarantee there's people in this room that don't have a clue what the resurrection was about. You're just like the disciples. You're blind. So again, I'm not, and if I catch your eye, it's not because I'm talking about you. I just, I got to look somewhere. And I just look around the room and he's looking at me. My, my, whoever brought me called him and told him I was coming and he's trying to work. No, I don't even know who's here. I don't know who's here. I just know that's how the Holy Spirit works. He's got to get your attention and get your attention in real places with real human beings. And if God's working on you, open up your heart. But they didn't have a clue. And uh, to such an extent that when the forces of a darkness that were driving the people that came to get Jesus came to apprehend him, Peter took out a sword and tried to defend Jesus. 
And this is in uh, Matthew 26. Beginning in verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come for. And this is when Judas gave him the kiss. Judas betrayed him. They came, laid hands on Jesus, seized him. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out a sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cut off his ear. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus is God with skin on. He's like, Peter, stop getting in the way here. I've got to die. And Peter's just like, oh, what's going on? I don't know. I love Jesus. They're going to hurt Jesus. Let's, Peter, you don't understand the Old Testament prophecies. This is absolutely necessary. Look, watch what Jesus says. Put your sword back into its place. All those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know what a legion is? 6,000. Do you know what one angel did in the Old Testament to the Assyrians? 185,000 human beings, an angel, wiped out in one night. Jesus said, dude, let it roll on. This has got to happen. Put the sword back. Then Jesus goes over, takes the guy's ear. You read this from the other. The Gospels are like, if a police officer comes to a wreck, right? There's a car behind him. What did you see? There's someone standing on the corner. What did you see? Someone up in their apartment. What did you see? They're trying to get different angles on what happened. That's what the four Gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you put all these pieces together, Jesus went over, took his ear, picked it up, and put it back on the guy's head. Like, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is not the way it's supposed to go here. Peter, let him kill me. I have to die or you all die. I have to die or you all die. Matt's getting emotional. Some people believe this. Some people say, well, that's a nice fairy story. Man. I don't know how it works. There's nothing that works like Jesus. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've talked to a lot of different people from a lot of different religions who want to tell me all roads go to heaven. Can we meet on Thursday? No, that's when I got to go to my psychotherapist. And, and then how about, how about Friday? No, that's when I got to meet with my parole officer. You know, how about Saturday? No, that's when I got to go visit my kids in the detention center, right? It's like, well, you must have found the way, the truth and the life through whatever system, your spirituality. Jesus said, I came that you have life and have it to the full. You get to throw your meds in the trash. You get to have peace of mind, the peace that passes comprehension. You get to have solutions for every crisis, every battle you're up against. And this makes people mad. How dare you say that? I'm living it. God sends us impossible people to this church because this church believes that God is able I don't want to go off on another. Whatever he's done in the past, he can do. Whatever he did in Scripture, he can do today. So he dies for us, and then this is the day we celebrate the resurrection. He didn't stay dead. Interesting verse in uh, 1 Corinthians. It says, if the rulers of this world had known the eternal wisdom they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. 
If Satan had known what Jesus was up to and what his death was going to accomplish, he would have never pushed this thing through. Jesus crushed the serpent's head. The serpent is your problem. Same serpent that was attacking even the garden. That's why you're addicted. That's why you're bound by bitterness. That's why you have voices in your head. That's why you can't find what it is that's supposed to satisfy you and you think it's a relationship and you go from one bad one to the next one to the next one. That's all Satan's territory. The Bible says that, that, that Satan is the one that's ruling over the planet right now. Jesus invaded. Jesus defeated him. Scripture says, unless you tie up a strong man, you can't plunder his house. Jesus' death tied up the strong man. Satan's right to you was given, you conceded it to him by choosing to live in sin. You choose to live in sin. Satan says, look, I have a right to that person. God's like, yep, you're right. Jesus dies on the cross. What, is, what did that accomplish? He conquered all sin for all time. It's not you and Jesus. It's not, it's not some of his cross and some of your hard effort. It's all Jesus on the cross. He bore our sins and his body on the cross that we might die to sin. All sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. If we put our trust in this Jesus and we surrendered him as Lord of our life, our rap sheet is gone. So Satan tries to make a claim on you even after you come to Christ. And God says, I, I'm just not seeing what you're seeing there, Satan. But they did such and such. Yeah, but they're trusting in my son and his death for them. That nothing goes to their record. It all goes to the cross. Some people say, well, then won't you take advantage of that? God's going to forgive you and kind of let you off scot-free. Then what's going to keep you from sinning? Well, the problem is, if you're really born again, he puts his spirit in you. It's not really a problem. It's a great thing. But I'm being facetious. He puts his spirit in you, and you just want to be good. And you're just not happy unless you're being good. And the, and the more you're like Jesus, the happier you are. And the more you're like your old self, you're like a fish that someone tossed up on the shore and you're flopping around like, oh, man, I don't like this anymore. I don't like immorality. I don't like bitterness. I don't like dishonesty. It doesn't feel right because God changed your heart. So I don't know. It's an argument for another day. Technically, can you get away with sin after you're born again? Yeah, technically, you can jam bamboo shoots up your fingernails, too. And you can give yourself paper cuts and pour lemon juice in them. You can do all kinds of things, technically speaking, but you're not going to enjoy it because the Spirit's in you. So the, why are you good then? Because God made me good. That's the whole point of being born again. I'm born. I, I, I love doing the things God loves. Why, why do you like having broken people in your church? Because we love seeing God restore them. Man, sometimes when I'm up here talking, I, if I just catch some of your eyes, I'll just cry. I won't catch your eye. I'm serious. He's so good. But the resurrection is the day we celebrate. He won. Jesus won. He won. He beat the devil. And some churches just... Well, you're pretty Easter dress and go visit the grandkids. 
Interesting. In the Bible, a lot of times, they'll put a teaching section right up next to a narrative. And in this passage in where the disciples are so incredibly clueless, they didn't understand any of these things. It was hidden from them. They didn't comprehend it. Listen to the historical narrative that then comes up. It came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting in the road begging. Do you think they put that there just because they needed some filler? He says the disciples are completely blind, and then they go into a story. Well, what does blind look like? We need pictures, right? We're good with pictures. I like illustrated books. I don't... When I was young, I didn't want a book with just a bunch of words. I wanted the ones with the picture. So they paint a picture for us. How blind were they? They told, they told this blind guy that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those, uh, those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to receive sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Some of you guys are sitting here and you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Would you like to see? Are you willing to say I'm blind? I'm not blind. I'm a deacon in my church. How could I be blind? I, I want the Sunday school badge of, you know. I don't know why. I might as well throw this detail. I was reading a, a story about one of the followers of Charles Manson, one of the horrific stories in American history of occult following, etc. One of those little girls won a badge for Bible memory in a Baptist church. One of those psychotic, murderous, crazy girls. So anyway, could you be blind spiritually? Could you be wrong about Jesus and the resurrection? Could you be like the disciples, as blind as this man? So Jesus walks by this guy. He hears this. Well, I'm not so blind. I mean, am I really blind? What's blind anyway? Really? I can kind of see shapes maybe a little bit. When I, when I look at the sun, I can tell that it's bright. Am I really that blind? And, you know, yes, I'm blind. When I read that, I was just like, at some point in your life, you got to cry out, God, if I'm blind, please. And you are it. Please. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. I just thought, so often in Scripture, these kind of teaching sections or information sections are set right next to a little account of something historical. This guy, the disciples are blind. Here's a blind guy. He cries out to see. Maybe you're religious, but are you really seeing? Some people think it's extreme to share your faith. I love, man, I love this church because you guys push me. And uh, a lot of you guys go out to college, the campus on Fridays, and you witness the people. And uh, I don't necessarily like going up to people just cold. It's awkward. Hey, you're probably not doing anything important. Can I talk to you about religion? It's like, it feels weird. It's, but there's always people that are really searching. And so you guys are like, hey, Tad, you coming? Hey, you coming? Hey, Tad, you're... yes, I'm coming. I'll be there. But, but I get so much joy out of it. And now I'm getting over the resistance to it. Like, well, that's extreme. That's weird. You're a fanatical church. You're blind, my friend. 
Only a blind person wouldn't share this message. The people are in bondage to spiritual darkness. They're in bondage to the devil. They're going to spend eternity away from God. God became a human being, kicked the devil's head in, took away all his claim to them, and all they have to do is believe this message and surrender to this man, Jesus, be filled with his Holy Spirit so that they can live the life that they're longing to live. You have that message, and I could preach it in that short amount of time, and if you heard it and you got it and you just said yes to God, you'd be born again. We have that message. we got people dying of soul cancer all around us, and we don't want to be fanatical. We don't want to share our faith. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. I think that's, uh, I was like, God, why would we do that? If you're it, and this is the day, and the resurrection is the thing, how can we live next to people who don't understand that we follow this Jesus, we believe in this Jesus? The first disciples were all willing to lay their lives down for it. There's another section, I'm not going to turn there, but it's in John 9. The disciples, the religious leaders, Jesus heals another blind guy. They're saying, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus said, well, maybe he's going to pull it up. Okay, you can pull it up. I'm not looking at it. Are you saying we're blind? He said, if you, if you acknowledge that you were blind, you wouldn't have a problem. But because you say, I see, you've got a big problem. Because you and God, you have a different opinion about your spiritual state. Yeah, you, you got big, big problems if you say, I'm not blind. But one of the, be- one of the first steps you can take and one of the yeah, greatest things you can do is say, God, if I'm blind, open my eyes. God, if I'm not committed enough, open my eyes. I was also thinking about that phrase the book of James likes to use, double-minded. Some of us, and we kind of believe what the world says, and we kind of believe what Jesus says. And so we go to church just to be safe, but yeah, we don't want to upset the relatives and say, yeah, you know, and you know, don't want to talk up, speak up in class because you know, that'll get a little uncomfortable. So kind of double-minded. God, make me single-minded for the truth. You want to know we don't have revival? Because again, on a scale of a one to 10, we're about a one, maybe a two. And we're still seeing stuff, which is crazy. Why don't we ramp it up like we really believe it? But for some of you in here, Actually, for all of us, do this all the time. God, where am I deceived? Where am I deceived? If anybody knows where they're deceived, come up afterward and tell me, and I'll give you $100. You can't know where you're deceived. That's the whole definition of deception. You think you're right and you're not. God, show me where I'm deceived. Show me where I'm blind. Is it about Jesus? Have I bought the wrong Jesus? Have I bought an antichrist Jesus? Is it? Am I blind to the importance of the message and Am I blind to who you are, your character, your nature? Wherever I'm blind, show me. So the, Jesus, with his first disciples, if it could happen to them and they're walking with Jesus, arm in arm, hanging out with him 24-7, if they are blind, is there any chance you could be blind? Well, absolutely. So I just want to encourage you guys, if you're new to this church, pray. this could be your day. Jesus, what is what are you all about? What is the resurrection all about? Are you truly the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except through you. If you are, open up my eyes. If you are a follower of Jesus, you still got a lot of knots to work out in your head. Amen? Yeah, it's a process. Even after you get good and saved, there's still all kinds of knots to work out in your head in terms of God's will and who he is and who you are and 
what's worth living for. Yeah, he has an opinion about everything, and it's the right one, and yours is the wrong one. Say, God, where am I to see? Open up my eyes. Trying to think what other scripture passages I had here. Yeah, I think I hit them all. So, what does the resurrection tell us? The resurrection tells us Jesus beat the devil. The resurrection tells us we can be free. The resurrection tells us a former crazy like me can be uncrazied. A former purposeless person like me can have purpose. This is the age where most dudes are rethinking life. Did I do the right thing? Was I in the right career? Were my priorities right? Did I invest in my children properly? Did I, I feel like right now at the point where everybody's questioning life, I honestly, I just feel like I'm just hitting my stride. I'm loving life. I'm loving what I'm doing. And certainly I didn't do anything even remotely close to perfect, but I was on the right track because it was Jesus listening to what he had to say. You can be free. You can be healed. You can be sane. You can be happy. You can be forgiven. The pastor doesn't know what I was into. Come try me. I guarantee you I know somebody that's got you beat. Oh, no, you don't. Come try me. Talk to me if you got the guts to do it. I know somebody that outdid you in whatever category you think I've never heard before. I'm not even going to mention them because they're so deplorable. The Bible says it's, you shouldn't even talk about the things which are done by them in darkness. Well, I'm a pastor and a minister, so people vomit this stuff out all the time when they're trying to find healing. You can be forgiven, freed, healed, because Jesus died for you, beat the devil, and rose from the dead. So, maybe I've said enough, and uh, let me see what time it is. Nice. we got plenty of extra time. So uh, you got a good celebration of the resurrection song? So yeah, thanks for, the, thanks for coming, new people. Uh, it's always nice to see new faces. If you would like to talk to me afterwards, I'm really a nice guy. I kind of come across pretty intense, but most people are like, you're really nice. Uh, if you come and talk to me. Um, yeah, I just really believe this stuff. If you think Christ is, doesn't have your answer. Yes, he does. He is your answer. There's no one like him. There never has been. He changed the world. There will never be anyone like him because he was God who became man to set us all free.